I'm John Hall. This is Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. And this is Jeremy Danner of Four Hands Brewing Company. One day you say you're happy that bananas might go extinct because they make your throat itchy. And that's another thing I don't tweet about is I, I hadn't considered the global economic impact of bananas going extinct. So I just don't talk about bananas anymore. Our full conversation is coming up next, but first, this episode is brought to you by Cigar City Brewing. I've known the folks behind the brewery since almost back to when it opened in 2007, and over the years, I've had the chance to visit Tampa during their annual Hunapu Day Festival. Yes, it's a day of big imperial stouts, but it's also a chance to try beers from around the country poured by the brewers themselves. I know we're living in an age of small, boutique beer gatherings, but there's still a lot of fun to be had at the big festivals, and Hunapu should be on your list. Mark your calendar for March 13th, 2020 at the Amelie Arena in Tampa. There'll be over 100 breweries from far and wide, and it's a true craft experience for all beer drinkers. And Drink Beer, Think Beer is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals. It's a subscription service that I launched with Andy Crouch a few weeks back, and we've been really overwhelmed at the response. We're talking with brewers, growers, and other beer professionals for a twice-a-week publication that can help you get a better understanding of the industry. In recent weeks, I've talked to Vinnie Trulerzo about the first bottle release of Point of the Younger, Jim Cook of Boston Beer about their new location and the Dongfish Head integration. We've explored the battle for light lager dollars, did an exit interview with Randy Sprecher and Carol Stout, and Andy tells of his experience blind-tasting nearly 40 hard seltzers and what that means for the overall beer industry. Each week, we strive to tell the stories others don't and offer insight from leading experts. An annual subscription gets you all that and more. Check out BeerEdge.com for more details, and thanks for your support. Welcome to the show. I'm John Hall, and I'm fighting off a cold, so my apologies for the gravelly voice. If you've ever spent even just a casual amount of time on beer Twitter, you've come across Jeremy Danner. He's the passionate, outspoken, and thoughtful guy with an unending amount of Kansas City pride, a great love of family, and a near constant live stream of beer. He was the public face of Boulevard Brewing Company up until a few months ago when he was suddenly let go from the company. Now, people come and go from places all the time, but because he was such a visible part of that brewery in his role as ambassador brewer, the news sent waves through the industry. He quickly bounced back and is now an on-premise account manager for Four Hands Brewing Company, as well as a brand ambassador. In this conversation, recorded at the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festival a few weeks ago, we get into what it means to have your personal identity wrapped up in a brewery, or any organization for that matter, that you don't have ownership in, and what happens when it's suddenly taken away. We get into what works and what doesn't on social media, something we could all use a refresher on, and then we transition into how his new role in sales has helped round out his beer education and what we can all learn from that. But first, I wanted to know how he first came to beer, and it turns out, just like so many of us, it came through a friend. Here's our conversation. You know, I actually, I read an article this week that kind of made me sad that uh, is sort of the genesis of me being obsessed with craft beers. The last Hops Brew Pub closed, like that Florida chain. Yeah. I had a buddy that worked for them as a brewer uh, that I was also in an improv troupe with, and he would bring kegs and growlers to our after parties, but he would never let me have it because I wasn't 21 yet. And he was like really responsible. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I'll just drink this other beer I brought. But on my <laughs> on my 21st, and it's probably like... Uh, a beat of purple haze or a blue moon or something. Yeah. Uh, but on my 21st birthday, 
uh, Ryan Seymour, the guy's name, invited me down to the brew pub to have lunch. So come down, I'll buy you lunch and beers on your 21st birthday. So I walk in and I see Ryan climbing out of the kettle after cleaning it on his brew day. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, people make beer. You know, you just, you, I'd bought beer at the store. Or, well, I guess people had bought beer at the store for me. Yeah. But you didn't really think about the fact that there were people involved in every aspect of like not only making that beer, but packaging and marketing and selling and all of that. To me, beer was sort of this faceless industry that I didn't realize like, yeah, just like milk comes from the store, cheese comes from the store until you investigate the process. And then I realized like this guy, this is kind of a terrible job brewing, especially in a small brew pub where you have to get in the vessels and clean them. You don't have CIP. Like that's not fun. Yeah. So I, I became obsessed that day and started drinking anything I could get my hands on beer wise and reading all the books I could. And it was really just because you stumped into a brew pub on your 21st birthday. Yeah, that's it. When did it become clear to you that you wanted to make a career out of this? I think as I got more obsessed with with trying every beer, these were the days we had to go to like five liquor stores to find two beers you wanted. Everyone had something different. Yeah. Um, I started working at a Fox and Hound pub. Yeah, that opened. I remember those. Down the street from a place I was already working. And that's when everything really went crazy. I didn't realize, you know, like, there are 100 beers. Oh, my God, who knew there were 100 beers? And they're all in this restaurant. And that's when I got obsessed there. Worked a couple other bar jobs where I was kind of a the beer-centric guy in those bars. And then I got fired from a really great bartending job in, oh, 2005, I think. And I went up the street and got a job waiting tables at uh, 75th Street Brewery. And that's the pub where I learned how to brew. But I went through three interviews to be a server at this brew pub. And where, where's the brew pub? Uh, it, it was in Waldo, in, in Kansas City, in the okay. Waldo area. Like, it's okay. 75th and Warnell, but it's it's closed now for okay. several years. But you went through just... And was it, like, exacting job interviews? Like, like it seems like that's a lot to have to go just to be a, a server. Or was it just, like, they had exacting standards at the time? Or were you just kind of screwing your way through them? Uh, I feel like I was doing a good job. Okay. I mean, like, a server interview is not the hardest thing, but... Yeah. They, at the time, had kind of this blanket of a restaurant management group. So they had a like a wine bar. They had a couple sports bars. So it was, it was a little corporate getting through that. But then once you started at the brewery, that place was not run like a wine bar, which was not run like a sports bar. So every location had kind of its individual management. But I remember in the third interview, they asked me, like, do you have any questions for us? I'm like, are you going to hire me or what? Like, this is absurd, dude. I've been through three interviews been a restaurant job and I've, I've not been not hired after the first. So like, what's going on here? We're and they gonna, did hire you. They did hire me. They called me that night and hired me. Yeah. So now you're working in a brew pub environment. Yeah. Um, what did that teach you early on? And did, did that, cause eventually like you made a career out of beer. Was this another step towards that? Oh, for sure. I mean, that, that's where I learned to brew is at okay. 75th street. What I realized when I started there and started going to like server lineups or beer classes that the brewers taught is that I knew nothing. You know, you think you bought this book and you've drank 200 different beers and argued about it online. Oh, you know a lot about beer. But then you realize when it came to the actual production of it, that's when the real education began. And not so much the uh, I call it like the difference between being a cook and a chef, you know, like you can follow a recipe and execute it. But if you don't know the why or the what's happening and how you can manipulate those things to manifest differently down the road, I think you're a cook versus being a chef. And that's where things really shifted for me at 75th street. So from there, 
all along, though, it sounds like you had server jobs. Were you thinking about other careers, or were you thinking about just staying in hospitality? Like, what was the like when you were twenty one and you went to that brew pub for the first time, and you were having beers and you're seeing that people make beer? Where did you, in your twenty one year old infinite wisdom, where did you see yourself going at that point? I wanted to be what Ryan was doing. I wanted to be that guy, you know, in the, in the vessels making the beer, climbing out of them, that kind of stuff, and then also. But, like, the day before your 21st birthday. Oh, no idea. Yeah. I just thought I was going to weigh tables. Okay. I was enjoying that at the time. But there weren't many plans at that point. Okay. Yeah. So once you saw somebody making beer, that became... That's when it clicked for me, yeah. Okay. So let's keep it going. So you're at the brew pub. Mm-hmm. You're serving, but then you're starting to make beer as well. They're letting you yeah, come I started, in an apprentice. And... Yeah, I started going to festivals with the brewers and seeing like this lifestyle and this uh, community and family out of this lifestyle. <laughs> I, I should have... I gave it too much grandeur there. I, I should really point yeah. out, it, it's it's uh, 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Uh, you're chugging water. We're at uh, the Big Beers Bar, uh, Belgians of Barley Wine Festival. Um, we're both like a little hungover. There's a little bit of altitude happening right now. Yeah, yeah. And you're talking about lifestyle. Like, I love it when people are like, wow, your life must be so cool. It's like, we're two dudes sitting in a hotel room right now, you know, just trying to nurse hangovers. Right. Yeah. I lifestyle. This, I have this horrible cough and I'm trying not to cough. Oh, on, that's fine. It's, on your yeah. podcast, man. But that's all right. But yeah, no, I, I started hanging out with those guys and then I would come in and say, I'll do whatever you don't want to do. And it turned out there was a lot they didn't want to do. Um, so, you know, cleaning kegs and, uh, Scrubbing tanks. Like, like I said, we didn't have a CIP system on the brew house or in the serving and conditioning vessels, just in fermentation. So yeah. everything else was cleaned and sanitized by hand. And I could probably put cleaned and sanitized in quotes, given that I was a person in the tank that was about to hold the beer. But but that's kind of like, there's still a little bit of romance to that, isn't sure. there? Like, like it, it, I've talked to some people who they never want to go back to that again, and I can understand why. Um, but then there's other folks and, and you sort of seem to have just a little bit of a twinkle in your eye about this. of just like those fun early days. Oh, sure. I think after you work at a bigger production brewery, you realize a lot more things you didn't know when you, when you brewed at the pub and you didn't realize how much freedom you really had. Like you could have brewed anything at the pub and the managers would have been okay with it, but you're unsure. You don't you know have all the skills that you think you need to have to go off on your own and make recipes. So you just kind of make these are the seasonals we make. These are the year-round beers we make. And the regulars enforce that a lot, too. Like, oh, it's, it's November. Time to start making the Spice Double or whatever. You yeah. know, they tell you what to make. But, yeah, yeah. going back, I think it would be fun to, to work in a very small brewery. Would you want to do, do that again? You know, I don't know that I'd want to brew all day every day. Um, but in a pub, it would be different. You know, like in a, in a production brewery or on the brew house, you're making wort. That's your job. Yeah. You make wort, you go home. Um, where you work in the cellar, and you sort of reach this ceiling of influence. And that, that's what was weird for me at, at Boulevard was passing off a batch of beer to the guy after me. At the pub, you stay until your brew is done, and then you go home. But, you know, in a, in a brewery that brews 24-5 or 24-7 or whatever, yeah. um, you know, production brewery it is, you just pass things off. So you lose a little bit of ownership of that in a, in a weird way, but then you're part of this bigger group dedicated to making the beer, so it, it becomes a different thing as well. So you eventually get to Boulevard. Yep. And you spend... How many years there? I was at Boulevard 11 and a half years. Okay. So what were you hired to do when you first got there? My first job at Boulevard was putting corks in a PVC tube on the, the smokestack 750 milliliter bottling line. There wasn't a, uh, a cork sorter, and the corks that we were using at the time had to go in a certain way. 
So I had a, a big bucket in front of me with PVC tubes and a big bag of corks. And I would stuff these corks into PVC tubes and wait for a guy to yell corks. And I'd shoot him through this air-compressed tube over to the corker. And that was the first thing I, I did at Boulevard. That's kind of a fun job. It was fun. Cork sorter. It's fun until you put a cork in wrong and you get yelled at. Yeah. And that doesn't make people happy. But if, sure. you, could, if you could manage that, they like the corker. Okay. They like that guy. Obviously, you progressed through the ranks fairly quickly. You didn't screw up too many corks. Or maybe you did, and they just wanted to get yeah, you get off, off the corks. Cork, yeah. yeah. Uh, so where did you go? How did, how did you progress through so the I, ranks there? I learned how to run the label machine on the bottling line. Like, that was a promotion. Okay. And then on uh, while, while I was working at Boulevard part-time. And you're how old at this point? Uh, let's see. I would have been 2008, so I would have been 26 at the time. Okay. Yeah. So five or so years after yeah. you first discovered that there's people behind beer yeah. working at one of the larger breweries in the country. It was crazy, yeah. yeah. It, went, it went fast. And actually, I, I was working that job while I was doing a full-time bar job as well. And I, I just wanted to get in at Boulevard and do anything. So on St. Patrick's Day of 2008, I go into my bar job, and they, they pull me into the office before we get started, and they say, hey, uh, it's not working out. We're going to let you go. On St. Patrick's Day? I got fired Day. on St. Patrick's Day, yeah. So wow, they were done with me. Like, like clearly, because like, you need as many people as possible yeah, on that day. Yeah. Wow. You need, like, you need your worst employee on that day, and they let me go. Uh, so I, I thank them. I said, this is the, the kick in the butt I need to get focused back on dedicating myself to brewing again. And I, and I called Stephen Powell's and I said, Hey, I got fired today. I'll come clean floors or do whatever. I don't care. So I interviewed for a bottling line job the next week on the, the main 12 ounce bottling line. And the next day after I accepted that, Stephen called me and said he had a brewer give notice. He wanted to give me that job instead. Would that be okay? And I had been drinking a little bit to celebrate and I blurted out no shit. And he said, no shit. I'll see you Monday. And that's how I ended up brewing at Boulevard. We'll have more of this conversation in just a brief moment. But first, I wanted to thank this episode's sponsor, Cigar City Brewing. Their support helps keep the lights on here. And as you look towards the next month, you should get Hunapu Day on your beer travel list. This year, it's March 13th, 2020 in Tampa. And you can learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com slash events. And now, back to my conversation with Jeremy Danner of Four Hands Brewing, recorded earlier this year in Colorado at the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines Festival. How long did you spend in the brew house? Because I think a lot of folks who know you from the internet or through this lifestyle or through, you know, the festivals and everything, like know you, uh, that you have the brewing background, but also I think probably know you from the marketing side of the brewery. Yeah. So that was, uh, 2008 and I brewed full time until the beginning of 2013. And, and during the years leading up to that, I'd sort of become the guy that would go to dinners and tastings and local stuff. And then it, Started doing a little bit of travel throughout the Midwest, and then nationally our sales reps wanted someone from the brewery to come out. So I started traveling a lot, and we had to have the, the conversation, are you a brewer, or are you a guy who goes out and represents the beer and sort of serves as the voice of the brewer and translates that world to people? And uh, at the beginning of, of 2013, I was sort of given the opportunity to create my own job, and that's when I crossed over from the brewing team to the marketing side. What was that transition like for you, though? Because, I mean, they are two very different worlds. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the first things I asked was, do I have to dress different as a marketer? And they're like, no, please keep wearing dickies and t-shirts and, and keens. Please keep that up. I'm like, okay, cool. That's what I would like to do. 
prefer not to tuck in a shirt or anything. And sure. Not, not that marketing is hoity-toity, but it's different. You're not in production. Well, that's what so, I'm yeah. saying. Like, yeah. it's, it, when you're going from the production floor and you're going from, from you know, recipe creation and, you know, the in- industrial side of things to yeah. more of the, you know, intangible or, you know, the... The outward facing stuff. Right. That's not beer. That, that that can be a Yeah, it was weird. Like I'd never had an office job and suddenly I find myself at a desk in an open office concept and there are rules and you know, like I'm loud and you have to behave differently in an office than you do on a brew house. How steep was the learning curve? Um as far as marketing stuff goes, there were meetings I would sit in and be completely lost. Like there would be acronyms being thrown around or like very basic marketing concepts and you know, jargon that I didn't know. And we'd, we'd leave the meeting, and I'd, I'd talk to Jeremy Ragonese, who was the VP of marketing at the time, like, yeah. what's going on, dude? What are we talking about? Like, do I, is it a problem that I don't know these things? And he's like, no, you keep doing you. So the, the idea was taking a brewer and putting a brewer on the marketing team and not really making that brewer become a marketer. You know, they weren't like, here, read marketing for dummies or whatever and figure it out. They just sort of let me kind of integrate and, and figure out my role within that team, which was a cool opportunity. So... You were able to sort of forge your own path then in that, with, with their blessing, obviously. But. Yeah, I was given sort of a basic job description and then basically told, find other things that interest you and get involved in those and see if you can impact those positively. So where did that lead you? Well, I at, at some point ended up doing social media for the brewery. I did that for about two and a half years, I think. I did Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for Boulevard. You were the Boulevard account. Yeah, yeah, I was the Boulevard account with some supervision uh, from my boss, uh, Julie Weeks, who was the communications manager at sure, the time. I remember Julie, she's great. Uh, I found myself writing copy for packaging. I found myself in branding conversations, working on beer names. I found myself in what they would call brand design review, where the designers would pitch uh, different design concepts to executives and sort of found myself serving as like kind of a voice of the brewing team and making sure that. Uh, I strongly believe that the brewing should inform marketing and not the other way around. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's always the case, but I think that's, that's big. So sort of protecting that brewer's vision through the marketing process of a beer, I felt was very important. The social media thing I find really interesting because when you're thinking about 2013, um, you know, and, and obviously Facebook and Twitter had been around for, for well before that, but 2013, when we started to see brewery booms happen again and smaller breweries get into the game and the media landscape shift uh, for who's covering beer and and, and how um, social media became, I really think, like the lifeblood for a lot of breweries. Like it was now a way to speak directly to the customers where you couldn't before. And obviously it's commonplace now. But in those early days, and it's still less than a decade ago, but in sort of those early days when you were running the account, what struck you? Like, what were you surprised about? Uh, I was surprised at how many people weren't willing to talk to a person about a grievance or an issue or a concern, but were really willing to do it online. And we, did, we didn't have like a, the, the beer all hadn't opened yet, but there was a tasting room and a tours program. And people would tweet at the brewery like, hey, this just happened on my tour. I'm like, well, if you're still there, why don't you mention it to a tours manager or whatever? That, that surprised me, but then... I think in a, in a more positive way, it surprised me like how crazy passionate people were about everything that that Boulevard was doing and everything that everyone's favorite craft brewery was doing. You know, you'd put up a cool picture of a bottle on Instagram and you have a thousand likes minutes later, you know, and it, it sort of legitimized that not only to 
people who were in, in marketing and were doing social for breweries, but people inside the brewery who had formerly put, you know, social media in air quotes. I can remember being in a meeting with the sales team and uh, one guy was like, so Danner, anything to say about social media? I'm like, first off, man, I don't appreciate that you put air quotes around my job. Like it's a real job, you know, like we have this thing and we can reach a couple hundred thousand people real fast, which I think is cool. And then a few months later, I was in a meeting. He's like, Danner, could you help us out and put this on social? We'd like to make sure as many people see it. And I'm like, oh, we're not in air quotes anymore now. Like, you, you see this, but, but that changed. People were, especially people a little bit older than we are, were, they didn't want to trust that. You yeah. know? At some point, then, you give up the, the Boulevard account. Um, but you have this sort of online persona. Um, you know, I mean, you are uh, big on beer Twitter, yeah. as it were. Um, uh, you seem to sort of live uh, update your life um, constantly. You're involved in I don't know how many conversations at, at any given moment. And a lot of the time, like you're talking about beer, but then you verge into social topics or you, you know, you're not afraid to, you know, go after somebody who has gone after a friend of yours or gone after you or sure. something like that. Yeah. And I, I, there's so much worry, I think, when it comes to, you know, I guess like corporations and everything, when you have people who are outspoken online, because, you know, when you were at Boulevard, um, you were Mr. Boulevard. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, you were synonymous with that, with, with, with that brewery. I mean, it's, um, you know, when, 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 when you left, um, I mean, that was, that was like actual news, um, like in, you know, the beer journalism world. Of it was like, kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. Because, because there are very few people who are as wrapped up in the persona or the identity of the brewery as you were when you were there. But you have this, personal online life and I'm wondering how you reconcile or how you manage like both of those. It was tricky, you know, cause you can put in your Twitter bio, you know, uh, tweets are my own or something like, but like that's nonsense. Like, you know, no, like that, we know that. right. Yeah. Exactly. And especially with as you know, in sync you were with the place. Yeah. I mean, there were times where I would think about, if, if I tweet this, it's kind of like Boulevard tweeting this. Yeah. Even if that's not fair, but that's the reality of the situation. That's having the perspective of knowing who I was at the time or what, what my Twitter feed represented or Facebook or Instagram. And there are times where I, I would be amazed, though. I would say something that I felt was very innocuous about ravioli or Hot Wheels cars. And then people like, you son of a, I can't believe you said that. I'm like, dude, you didn't read any of my tweets yesterday. Like, yesterday... <laughs> Like, I said some real crazy stuff, and you didn't touch that. But today, like, you're going to fight me about boiler treatments, you know? Which is, and boiler treatments is something I don't talk about on Twitter anymore after having, like, boiler Twitter come after me. Are, are, you, are you being serious? I'm very serious, yeah. I have, I have a pinned tweet on my profile, a, like, list of things I will not tweet about, and boilers is on there. Like, the actual, just the devices that heat water? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You got into a fight with people about boilers? I, 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 I mean, I need to know the story. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. You could probably search my Twitter feed and boilers, but I tweeted something about like kicking the boiler on or off or something talking about a maintenance guy with the boiler. Yeah. And somebody's like, Oh, well, which pre-treatment do you use? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I'm, I don't touch. Was the this boiler. at your house? Uh, no, no, this was at, like the brewery. Oh, the boiler. brewery boiler. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So these people like, how do you not know that? I'm like, I don't, I don't touch the boiler very often. Like I only touch the boiler if I'm on the phone with someone who would normally touch the boiler and they're not there. Right. That's the only time. Well, how can you brew if you don't do this? I'm like, I figured it out, I guess. 
so it was it was always surprising to me. Like I could tweet, I, I tweeted horrible things about Michael Vick when he was still in the league. Okay, and nobody touched in the those. NFL. Yeah, yeah, nobody touched those. But then one day you say you're happy that bananas might go extinct because they make your throat itchy, and that's another thing I don't tweet about is. I hadn't considered the global economic impact of bananas going extinct, so I just don't talk about bananas anymore. But what's interesting, though, is you're a guy who works at a brewery, and people are fighting you because you have this platform. I mean, like Twitter has sort of boosted you know you up as a you know as a as a person, and you're a great guy to hang out with in person. But like this online persona that you have and sort of the, you know, the legitimacy, I guess, or the, the amount of followers or like whatever it is. Cause I mean, I'm sure that there's somebody who's tweeting about bananas right now. That's not getting recognized, uh, recognized. Yeah. You find out as you build a follower account, you, there are things you can't say anymore. Like I would look at time hop and see things that I tweet and I'm like, good Lord, I could never, could never say that now. So you have to be aware of that, which is weird because the fun of having a large follower account is like, saying fun things and seeing how people react. But then the fun thing you thought was fun wasn't fun any longer. There are, I mean, social media is a, is a part of every brewery's life right now. And we see a lot of individual employees, um, you know, do exactly what you're doing. You know, they're, they're sharing their own opinions on things. And sometimes it's owners and sometimes it's really terrible things. And sometimes it's funny things. And sometimes it's, you know, just, just innocuous. And then you also see the brands themselves, whoever's running their accounts, put out things that are questionable. Sure. Um, and you've worked in marketing and you, you know, you've worked in social media on these things. What's your reaction when you see some of the, and, and, and just for, for point of reference, like, let's just say, go to worst beer blogs, Instagram, and all of the screenshots that, uh, that he takes of, you know, people putting stuff up there. What's your initial take when you see something like that from your professional background? I just want to scream why, like, why, why did you do this? Why did you think it was a good idea to post this? Who are you hoping reads this? Who are you hoping, what, what do you want this to say about your brand or your brewery or your beer? But you see these things and you're like, this is why consulting firms exist, I guess, you know, like to me and, and I'm a very communicative person, but to me, like having a conversation or figuring out what to say online, isn't that difficult, but you see people every day step in it, you know, someone new gets featured on a more spear blog or, I think I read a tweet once that was like, every day on Twitter, there's a main character and you don't want it to be you. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, yeah, you're like, just be in the supporting roles. Don't be the main character. Yeah, you don't want to be trending. But you see these breweries get thrust into that immediately. And I think it's usually smaller breweries, you know, for the most part. And they don't have those followings or their following is very insular. And it's all people that think and feel like them. And then if it's worse beer blog or someone else retweets it, it's a little unfair because then they're just kind of on blast and they've never experienced that before. But at the same time, like, should we defend people who like, should we, I mean, they're, they're still people, so we should be compassionate for them, but are they getting what they deserve? I don't know. I think like cancel and call out culture is, it's a scary thing because we've all said things in the past that framed by the context of today, we have a lot of trouble justifying that or defending it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when I came up in news very early on, it was, you don't share your opinion. You know, like I'm a reporter who based in fact, so I, you know, share stories and you can do things like that. You know, it's morphed over the years, but I still have that mentality for myself where, you know, like people like when, when I get tagged on something on Twitter and people are like, you know, it's dissolving into politics or something like that. I just shut it down. Like I yeah. just, I walk away from it because 
I'm first of all not good at the internet and good at social media because like I I don't I don't necessarily always get the sarcasm like or the way that things are translating or things like that. Sure. And the few times that I have tried to run with the big dogs like you, I've just wound up embarrassing myself because you know and and just like personally embarrassing. Like I don't know if anybody's actually paying attention, sure. but I'm like well, I look like an idiot or I sound like an idiot there. So like I just kind of stay out of it. And I just I I wonder how many people could also benefit from that as well of just sort of when you're about to tweet something so I guess this is what I'm building up to if when you're about to tweet something that you think could get a rise out of people do you do a three count do you stop and think for a second or are you just sort of a shoot from the hip and I, I try to think about it you know like I, I want to be aware of, of that and Especially being in a newer role with four hands, you know, I've been around six months. There, yeah. there are guys that have been around since the beginning, and I want to be aware of the fact that I, am suddenly a very public representative of something that I've not been around for for very long. Yeah. So I want I want to think about that. Like I don't want to embarrass my coworkers, some whom I've not met at the brewery. But then also I think about like if Kevin Limp, uh, our founder and president, were to call me and be like, Danner, what did this tweet mean? And if I could comfortably explain that to him, that's one thing. But and at the same time, though, what people enjoy about that is that they get a sense for the person. And like there are writers in Kansas City who write about football and I don't I don't like football, but I like these writers and I like the way they write and I'll read things they've written about football. So like attaching that personal affinity to it is is good. It's a good thing until it's not. Yeah. You, know? you have rules for Twitter. I do. Can you share? them? Yeah. So um one of the biggest rules, and this is one that I probably, I wish I could break less often, but it's it's fun sometimes, is let the haters hate. And once you realize someone is a straight hater, like there's nothing you can do, you just have to walk away. Yeah. Because no one's fired on me huge. And then I've said, well, actually, this is the way this works and blah, blah, blah. And they've never said, thank you so much. I hadn't considered that viewpoint. Have a great day. Like, that's not how it works. Um, I I try to do my best to sincerely celebrate things that I love versus bashing things that I don't love. Yeah. That's more fun and it's easier. It requires less energy to be positive. Um, what's the other one? Um, well, back at, back at Boulevard and maybe I should adapt this now, but my, my thing was I would always pretend that I had John McDonald, uh, the founder of Boulevard on my shoulder, like a Jiminy cricket. And if I, if I drank too much at an event, I'd, I'd drop him and that would be bad. Or if I said something crazy, he'd hear me. So I try to remember that and have like, Always let a tiny brewery founder be your guide, you know. That's sort of an interesting take, though, because I, I wonder when people – there's a certain power, right, if you have the keys to your brewery's social media, especially if you're a larger brewery. like, And there's a sort of a sense of, you know, you are the institution or you're bigger than or, you know, like you're making all the decisions because you have all the things coming your way. Having the owner on your shoulder, I think, is pretty important. I think so. I mean, yeah, you are – you serve as that voice, but you're not the decision maker at that brewery. Um, and oftentimes people who do social media, like they're important and they're included in a lot of meetings so that they know, you know, what's going on. They have a lot of information. But then at the end of the day, like it wasn't you know, like when a brewery announces they're canceling your favorite beer, that the person who's doing Twitter didn't decide to cancel that beer to ruin your day. They're just tasked with communicating that. But they get all the hate. They get all the hate. Yeah. Does that weigh, did that weigh on you at the time? Like, were you starting to take things personally or were you able to recognize that people are like, I always think of like when, when, when I'm on a flight delay and you see people tweeting at United and like, there's somebody sitting in a call center who's like getting 
you know, just barraged, you know, because of, you know, a, a, a door is broken or something like that. This person has nothing to do with that kind of thing. And it's like, what's that like going home at the end of the night? It's weird. And, and really, you don't get to go home at the end of the night when you're, when you're doing social for a brand like that. Like there, there's a certain time of night where like, okay, no more replies from me. Everything can wait until the morning. But yeah, you're in, you're in customer service. So at first I did take, it was, it was hard to read those things, especially coming from the brewing side where I had a lot of, you know, personal uh, feelings invested in the beer to come to that side of it. You have to kind of numb yourself out a little bit and, and just know that that's going to happen every time. Every time you post about a new IPA, someone's going to say, why do you make 100 IPAs? And every time you post about a fruit beer, someone's going to tell you that man law says don't put fruit in beer or whatever. So after uh, 11 and a half years at Boulevard, um, they say, you know, thanks and be gone, as it were. Yeah, my, my role was restructured okay. is, is what happened. And unfortunately, it just left me without a spot on the, on the team. But... Um, it was kind of an exciting opportunity, you know? Uh, I mean, there's, there's the initial shock of, man, I've been coming to this place every, you know, every five days a week for 11 and a half years. And I felt like a lot of my personal identity was wrapped up in that. Yeah. And that was frightening. I don't know if you read, uh, you, you know about Amy Brown, who was, she was running the Twitter account for Wendy's when it blew up and they started roasting everyone. And like she blew up and gave all these interviews and she wrote a piece about, the the danger or how scary it is to lose the concept of self as it relates to your job and does my job define me and she ultimately got so freaked out by it that she left you know she had to separate from that job and that that was a real concern for me like am I still do people still want to hang out and drink beer with me um you know do people and not do I matter because everyone matters and I know that I matter to my wife and my son but it, it was weird like waking up that next day like oh, I don't work at Boulevard anymore it's kind of a, a scary time. Especially because you were so wrapped up. Like I was saying, like when, yeah. when, when you left and, and words started filtering out, I mean, like I was getting text messages from people being like, holy shit, you hear about Tanner. And it's like, that's insanity. Like, because like you were Mr. Boulevard, but also like you are your own person. And right. that, and that's the thing. And like, and I've known you personally for, you know, a good couple of years now. We've hung out, we've had beers, we've, you know, uh, gone to festivals and, and, and things like that. And like, you know, I knew you outside of that role and, you know, I'm sure a lot of other people did as well. What was your, what was the reception that you got from people? Was it, yeah, we still want to have beers. Like, yeah, yeah we no, still want to. It was great. I, I called my wife and let her know what had happened. I texted some friends like, we can be anywhere in 20 minutes. We're getting wasted. I'm like, no, not right now. That's not what I want. I want to go home. And I took a nap actually went home and kind of took a nap for a minute, separated. And then I, I wanted to write a very, a clear, well thought out, exhaustive statement to you know let people know that today was my last day at Boulevard. I don't really know what's next, but if you've ever supported me or Boulevard at the same time, thank you, because I got to do a lot of cool stuff with Boulevard. I got to go to Belgium right after uh, Duval purchased the brewery in 2014, and I traveled the country, you know, going to cool festivals and eating and drinking awesome things. So there, there wasn't this like ill will and damn the man immediately. It was like because of what I got to do there, suddenly I had all this opportunity, which, which was led to, you know, Kevin and Forehands reaching out to me and wanting to talk to me about. How quickly did that family. offer come through? It was quick. Yeah. Um, my, my wife had worked at a brew pub that closed and she spent about, you know, six months finding her next gig. And when the Forehands thing came up so quickly, she's like, 
What, what are there any words I can't say on here? No, you can say. Anything. She she goes. You know what? You're a motherfucker. And I said, I know, I know. Um, I got very fortunate, but a lot of that was was thanks to the the chances I had to shine and do the right thing with Boulevard, all translated to the goodwill that I was seeing pour in following that. So it's a new role at Four Hands now. Like you're, you know, you're still sort of out there, and you're, you know, doing uh, dinners and events and, and and things like that. But now you're also selling the beer. You're on the street, yeah. and trying to get tap handles and trying to get shelf space. That was a new thing for you. It, yeah, it was new. I'd, I'd been on sales calls a lot with Boulevard. Sure. Like going out in the market and working, you know, a route with uh, the local sales rep and going in and doing tastings, but I hadn't conducted the business of that. And I hadn't, I still don't have to do a lot of wholesaler management, but there's a lot of, you know, follow up and, you know, making sure everyone's on the same page. But yeah, I'm, I'm essentially learning how to be a beer sales guy. What surprised you so far as you've been learning this? For me, there are a lot of times people will say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And then you leave and you email the distributor sales rep, let them know, hey, so-and-so wants to bring in two cases of this beer. Great, thanks. And then you wait a week and you're checking the reporting software to see if it went and what happened. And then you call, hey, so-and-so hasn't picked up these two cases of beer. What's going on there? Oh, they changed their mind. Like, well, I thought we had a deal, man. So that, that's what's weird to me is like, I think some people don't want to say no. They're, they want to be too nice. Oh, yeah, we'll buy whatever. Nice in person, and then it's yeah. easier once you walk out the door. Yeah. To... I've not had any. No, I've been in the marketing Kansas City for a long time and, and out and about. So I've not had anyone like try to you know bust my balls as the new guy or take me down a peg yet. But I, I figure it's coming. What when you get up and go to work every day now, and you're out there and you're pounding the pavement and you're making these connections? What's a good day? What's a like when you when you get home and you hang up your hoodie, what's the what's the mark of a successful day for you? I mean, if I if I can sell beer everywhere I go, obviously that's an awesome day. Yeah, and that doesn't happen all the time, but if I can sell beer at you know three quarters, two thirds of the places I go, and maybe have a great lunch and an account that is great for us, and I get the chance to talk with the buyer, have a beer with the owner, like to me that's a really good day. Um, but what's cool about Forehands is that. Sure, it's a brewery that people in Kansas City know of and have heard about, but a lot of the folks who are buyers and bars who wouldn't identify as beer dorks might not know about it. So it's really it's really satisfying and exciting to take in, you know, four or five year-round beers and a couple seasonals and have someone taste them and go, these are all great. And I, I just look at them and say, I know. Like, that's why I'm here. Like, I really believe in these beers. I believed in these beers before I worked for Four Hands, but it, it's cool to introduce people to a new beer they like when all we talk about is how saturated and like overworked craft beer is. And when you can slow that down and someone goes, I've never had this beer. I'm going to buy a six pack right now. Like that's really cool. And you get to see that right happen right in front of yeah. you as well. So you're six months into your new job there. In, in the old job, you were again, you know, synonymous with, with, with the brand. Do you, are, are you, are you doing that again? Are you, you know, do you want to be Jeremy Forehands? Do you want to be, you know, or is it, is it different? You know, uh, it's, it's a little different in that I, I don't have to be on all the time, all the time anymore, which is kind of nice. But if I'm out in a bar in Kansas city, I think, yeah, Forehands is there, you know, as, as I'm a representative of them. And I, I think it's fun, but at the same time, like I'm, I need to learn so much more about the brewery before I get anywhere near that. You know, one of the first things I did was email, 
uh, our head brewer and director of operations, like, hey, can I have really detailed recipe info? Because my first day at Four Hands, people are going to expect me to know everything like I do at Boulevard. And there are a lot of times where, oh, is this beer coming back? I'm like, I've never heard of that beer. <laughs> and it's, it's a beer that this person loves. So I call the brewery. I'm like, hey, are we making this again? And uh, so it's been very humbling, like going from if you had a question and you didn't know who to ask at Boulevard, you would talk to me. And now, like, being, yeah, because you were the living archive. of I knew everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now being the new guy is kind of fun. And I think at some point I would like that. And I think in the Kansas City area, at least it's smart to align that. Um, like, I got off the uh, the plane in Denver, and some dudes I knew that were uh, from Kansas City were going to Albuquerque. And one of them said, you know, because of you, I've bought a lot more forehands beer. And I'm like, that's the point. Like, that's that's exactly what we're hoping to do. So, yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, if it helps sell more beer, absolutely. But I'm not I'm not in a rush. Kevin Limp is an amazing face for the brewery. Yeah, um, and nice guy, too. Yeah. He, he's a great speaker, one of the nicest guys in beer. So I'm not... It's it's a weird thing to figure out though. Like, how out there do I want to be as you know, Danner from Four Hands? Transitions change uh, happen all the time in beer uh, or any industry for that matter. Um, and what do you think is your biggest takeaway? You know, so if somebody else next week discovers that the place that they've really loved, you know, is going to let them go, you know, yeah. it comes out of the blue. What have you learned in the last six months? Because you're a pretty thoughtful guy. I mean, I'm just curious if you have the piece of advice for somebody who might face that. Yeah, what, what I've learned is that everything that you do while you're working somewhere and building connections and relationships with people, and if if you're not the, the public face of a company, but you have a great relationship with the folks who print your labels or your boxes or whatever, all the goodwill and um, friendship and the great relationships you've built and earned with those people, you get to keep all of that all of that belongs to you. And that, that's the thing I worried about is losing this, you know, personal um, value and uh, social currency. Like, am I still cool? Do people want to hang out with me? It's, it's such a dumb, vapid thing to think about. But in, in that moment where I think there were times I thought I was going to work at Boulevard for forever. Yeah. And then I also learned like, you don't, you don't have to work somewhere forever. And it's probably unfair to, to put yourself in that situation, you know? Like there are a lot of great gigs in beer, and if if one day you decide you don't want to work at that brewery, well, there's a million other ones now at this point. But but had had this been you know 20 years ago, where am I going to go? You know there just weren't in a, weren't a lot of breweries. I don't have a lot of like mar- I don't have a resume. I haven't applied for a job since 2005, so it, it's scary. You know, like having that that moment of separation, but then being able to to breathe and calm down and slow down, and it provided a lot of perspective. You don't have Cork Turner uh, on a resume somewhere? Yeah, right. I know. That's, uh, that's a shame. I was pretty good at it. I could also, <laughs> I could shoot the corks and flap my hand in such a way that would make the, the cork shooter fart. I was a talented guy. And Stephen Powell saw what he had, you know? And uh, yeah. yeah, and now here you are. Thanks for sitting down with me, Jeremy. I yeah, appreciate man. it. Thank you. And uh, we can find four hands in a whole bunch of states, I imagine. Yeah, we're uh, Missouri and Kansas and Illinois. Uh, we have some beer in Oklahoma. We have some beer in Tennessee. Yep. And we have uh, a couple markets we're looking at right now. Uh, and people can find you online nearly constantly. So uh, yeah, just say hello there. Google me and you'll find something. Yeah. I hope, I hope you like it. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you, man.
That's former cork sorter Jeremy Danner of Missouri's Four Hands Brewing Company. Our conversation was recorded in Colorado a few weeks ago at the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wines Festival. If that's not on your beer travel list, it should be. Each week, I'm trying to explore the country and to talk with interesting beer folks that are having an impact on the beer industry and what's in our glass. You've already found the podcast, so thank you. Subscribing and even leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice goes a long way to helping other people find the show. Do you like what you hear? Do you have suggestions? Do you want to tell me about someone you think I should get on mic or someplace I should go and visit? Drop me a note at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com, or you can join me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. I'm occasionally sparring with Danner. Nate Schweber does our music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. Andy Crouch has never once sorted a cork. And if you want to learn about advertising on this show and other Beer Edge products, drop Ryan Newhouse a note at ryan at beeredge.com. Speaking of that, this episode was sponsored by Cigar City Brewing. Hunapu Day is coming up on March 13th, 2020 at the Amelie Arena in Tampa. Join a few thousand fellow beer drinkers to enjoy Imperial Stouts, talk directly with brewers, and be the envy of your beer friends. With more than 100 breweries in attendance, it's a true craft experience for all beer drinkers. And I think the festival should be on every beer bucket list. And if you go once, there's a good chance you'll like a return year after year, just like I do. Learn more at CigarCityBrewing.com slash events. And Drink Beer, Think Beer, this podcast is produced by Beer Edge, the newsletter for beer professionals, a subscription service that I launched with Andy Crouch a few weeks back, and we've been really overwhelmed at the response. We're talking with brewers and growers and other beer professionals for the twice-a-week publication that can help give a better understanding of the industry. In recent weeks, I've talked with Vinny Trulerzo about the first bottle release of Pliny the Younger that Russian River did, Jim Cook of Boston Beer about their new location in downtown Boston and the Dunkfish Head integration. We explored the battle for light lager dollars, did an exit interview with both Carol Stout and Randy Sprecher, and Andy tells of his experience blind tasting nearly 40 hard seltzers and what that means for the overall beer industry. Each week, we strive to tell the stories other don't and offer insights into what's happening in beer from the leading experts an annual subscription gets you all that and more check out beeredge.com for more details and thanks for your support and that's it that's the show for this week i'm going to have a hot toddy to relax these vocal cords and hopefully knock out some of this congestion and hopefully i won't sound quite so gravelly when you tune in next week because new episodes release each wednesday and that's when i'll be back again to drink beer and think beer thanks so much for listening i'm john hall Cheers.